this morning and in our evening service as well. So in the morning services, we began last week a, a series in the uh, letter to the Ephesians, Paul's letter. And uh, in our evening services, we started a series in Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. If you want to follow those, if you don't always catch them, they're online as well. So if you'd like to catch up with those at any time, please do. So we're going to turn now to Ephesians chapter 1. So if you'd like to switch your Bibles on or look at the screen or if you've got a paper copy, uh, turn to it with me. Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to read from verse 15 uh, to 23. Is that okay? Oh, we're already there. Thank you. For this reason, Paul writes, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realm. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Let's just pray together. Lord, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you that we have it in our hands. We can read your word. And we pray that as we spend some time over the next few weeks looking at this letter, would you speak to us by your Holy Spirit, that we might know you better, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've called this, uh, the message this morning, Diving for Treasure. Diving for Treasure. I don't know if uh, you've ever dreamed of finding buried treasure, if you've ever found a map like this. And uh, bottom of your garden, in a bottle, and you found it, and the X marks where the treasure is. Wouldn't that be amazing if you found that? Do you remember the Staffordshire hoard that was found, oh, 2009 now? That great, great sort of gathering of of Anglo-Saxon gold and silver. And it was a guy called Terry who was just out with his metal detector in a field. And he found... There's just one more on that one, which is beautiful. Fact is, apparently, we know where lots of treasure is buried... We just don't know how to get our hands on it. We just don't know how to retrieve it. We just don't know how to make it our own. On the 16th of February, 1941, a British merchant ship, the SS Gersopa, that's the one, 
was almost at the end of her journey back from India, and she was spotted by a German U-boat and was torpedoed. Within 20 minutes, the ship had sunk with 150 million pounds worth of silver bullion on board. And she's still there on the ocean bed today, 300 miles off the coast of Ireland, three miles down under the water. The problem is not knowing where the treasure is. The problem is getting it up, taking hold of it, making it yours. Thanks, Mike. Diving for treasure. I believe that the Apostle Paul would want us to take hold of some incredible treasure. And he knows where it is. And we would know where it is. But sometimes we find it difficult to lay hold of it. To actually bring it to the surface. Maybe it's, it's just bringing it from our head to our heart. Because that can be sometimes the very longest journey of all. Not three miles underwater, but just 18 inches from our head to our heart. That that treasure might be ours. So last week, Edward started this series and with that amazing sentence that Paul just, he just pours out praise of God in chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. And, and if you read it in Greek, it hasn't got any stops in it, any, any sort of commas or full stops. It's just one breath. And Paul, just, it just comes out of him. All this praise of what God has done for us. All the blessings, all the glory of the gospel. I don't know if you tried it when you got home. Did you, did you take on Edward's challenge and say, I'm going to read it all in one breath. No one else tried it? It's just quirky ones, like me. I went back again and I tried it. I got to verse 11. Verse 11. One breath. But I was done for after that. When we get to this passage, it's as if Paul wants us to catch our breath again. Take another breath. Dive again because there's even more treasure for us to recover Take hold of, retrieve. All the treasure that was pointed out in the ocean of God's grace is ours. All the things that we read about in those first verses of Ephesians are ours in Christ Jesus. But sometimes we haven't taken hold of them. They remain in here. And they don't take up residence in here. And Paul wants us to take another breath. And through this next um, portion of chapter 1, I believe he gives us ways in which we can seek to take hold of these treasures. Move them from the seabed to the surface. Move them if they've got stuck somewhere along the way. You read Ephesians and you know that Paul has never got over the gospel. He has never got over the fact that Jesus loved himself for Paul, who was an enemy of Christ. 
tried to destroy the church. He has never got over it. The sheer grace of God. That in his sinfulness, God came for him. Never got over it. You touch Paul and the gospel comes out. You meet with Paul and the gospel comes out. Because he loves Jesus so much. God's grace lavished. He uses those kind of words. Lavished on us. And Paul knows that the gospel is so powerful. It's going to transform the universe. It has a cosmic element to it. But the gospel is so intimate. That God is interested in your heart and my heart. And Paul never gets over it. And I think we need to recover that as Christians. That we've never got over the grace of God. It's just so amazing. Jesus loved you, gave his life for you, died on the cross for you. That you might have eternal life. That you might be forgiven of all your sins. That you might know him. That you might spend eternity with him. Have you get over the fact of that truth? Have you got so accustomed to it that it it doesn't just so fill your heart that it just bursts out whenever you have the opportunity? What was Paul's secret? I believe he never stopped giving thanks. And he never stopped asking for more. Never stopped giving thanks, never stopped asking for more. I believe there's no better way than to make the gospel truths come alive than to turn them back to God in praise and worship. We were made to worship God. There is something that happens when we lift our arms to praise Him. No matter our circumstances. No matter how difficult it gets that we might be able to look up and say, well, He still loves me and is worthy of my praise. I know worship is more than songs and worship is more than our gathering together. But there is something special about turning back to God in praise all our thankfulness. Because what might be stuck as head knowledge then goes to our hearts. It's not just about learning apologetics, which is good as well. To learn the truths of the gospel that we make share it. But I think when we sing out our praise, sing out our worship... It builds our faith. We're singing out truth. We're declaring truth. And there's something powerful about that. If I want to transfer from my head to my heart, it's nestled between my lungs. And this is what I've come to love. It's your breath in my lungs. So I pour out my praise. I pour out my praise to you only. And we see that in Paul's life, whether he's in prison, in, in, in Philippi. What does he do when he's slammed in prison? Starts worshipping, doesn't he? I know that is so hard. So hard to worship when, when things are really tough. Why not carry one of your favorite CDs of worship tapes and songs with you in the car, wherever you go, when you're walking and just put it on? There is something about lifting up God in praise that feeds our hearts. I believe that worship uncovers treasure and brings it to the surface. 
Worship keeps our hearts topped up with thankfulness. I'll say that again. Worship keeps our hearts topped up with thankfulness because we're speaking it out. All the voices that come into our lives, all the other things, the voices of the enemy, the voice of other people. But when we speak out our praise, we're declaring truth. Paul cannot help but praise. And he never stops asking for more. In this passage, we see Paul praying for the Ephesian believers, praying for believers that will come after them. He never stops asking for more. Because he knows that there's so much treasure for us. And he knows that the Holy Spirit is the best, the the most expert of salvage experts. You know these companies that, that people pay to go and find treasure? They're experts in what they do. But Paul knows that the best expert is the Holy Spirit for uncovering treasure, for uncovering truth. And he never stops asking for more. And he notices that that treasure is already ours in the gospel. He prays that we might appreciate what we already have in Christ, but also ask for the not more. I have not stopped giving thanks. Never once do we hear Paul say, do you know what? I've got it all. I've understood it all. No, he always asks for more. There is so much more. I keep asking. And this way Paul teaches us here to pray. To immerse ourselves in the truth. Encourage you to read that verses 3 to 14 again and, they, and, and personalize it to you. This is your treasure that Paul's writing about. And he recognizes in verse 17 the Trinity in, in these opening verses that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. There they are, Father, Son, Holy Spirit in verse 17. And why ask for that spirit of wisdom and revelation? So that you may know God better. That we might know him better. Can we know God better? Yes, we can. Paul says we can know him better. The Holy Spirit delights in helping us to know him better. But notice it's not so much aimed at knowing doctrine better. Although doctrine is important. It's knowing him better. Relationship. Deepening that relationship with God. Experiencing more of God's love. This is the heart of the gospel. It's the heart of God. He wants us in relationship with him. And out of that relationship, we realize and we experience these three things. Hope, riches, and power. Paul mentions these three things, hope, riches, and power. That we may know the hope to which we have been called. That we may know the riches of our inheritance with all God's people. That we may know the power that he has given, his incomparable great power, immeasurable power. So what's our hope? The hope that we've been called to. We've been called 
Edward talked about this last week. We have been chosen. You have been chosen by God. It wasn't your idea. It was God's idea. He came looking for you. Yes, you responded to his love and his grace, but it was his initiative. He came looking for you. He chose you. It was his initiative. Called us to what? To a new life. A life in which we know that we are loved. That we are in Christ Jesus. That's our identity. Eugene Peterson translates it saying, it's in Christ we we find out who we are and what we're living for. In Christ we find that out. If I ask you, who are you and what you're living for? You can say with all the authority of Scripture, I'm a child of God. I'm a beloved of Jesus. And I'm living for him and for his glory. You know who you are and you know what you're living for. And our future is secure. We have been set apart. We have a calling on our lives. Sometimes you hear people talk about a calling on their lives. I could talk to you about the sense I had at the age of 19 when I became a Christian. I sensed a calling on my life. The calling was to preach. That was the calling, to speak about Jesus. I'd never been able to speak in public before. I was the most shy, embarrassing kid. I couldn't stand up and read in public. But God called. But I want to say that you are all called. We are all called. All called to ministry. All called to serve Jesus. All called. And that makes you feel special, doesn't it? God called you. Why? Because he loves you. He loves you. Don't let it get stuck up here. He loves you. God loves you. God gave everything for you. Oh no, but he he gave it for the whole universe. Yeah, he gave it for the whole universe. but, But he gave it for you. Knows you. Loves you. Know that hope. To which he is called. What about the riches? The riches of our inheritance. We have treasure. We have an inheritance. The Bible continually talks about that. We have an inheritance kept in heaven for us. Guaranteed by who? Guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. He guarantees our inheritance. It's never going to be spoiled or stolen or lost on the stock markets. Or the pension's gone plummeting. Our treasure, our inheritance in Christ cannot be lost. It is sure, steadfast, secure. What are these riches? The riches of a new heaven and a new earth. Your inheritance. (laughs) As a a child of God, we, we need to see a bit of the bigger picture. There is a bigger picture here. Paul sees it. In chapter one, he just has this overview of what God's doing. It is cosmic. Jesus is going to bring a new heaven and a new earth. And he's chosen you to be part of it. That's your inheritance. And we will see him as he is. And we will be like him. 
We will be clothed with resurrection bodies. We will be perfected in character. And we will join with all the saints, the multitudes from every nation, tribe, people, tongue. So if God's call looks back perhaps to the beginning when God called us, God's inheritance, those riches, calls us to look forward because we have an inheritance waiting for us. It's ours. But what about God's power? It's for now. God's power is for now in us. Ephesus, if you know anything about the place, was seen as a place of power. It was a a thriving city. Socially, civically, religiously. They had so many cults and beliefs that flourished, most principally the cult of Artemis, that pagan goddess. It was a world dominated by princes and powers and various rulers and authorities. And Paul comes and talks about power. For Paul, the greatest demonstration, display of power the world has ever seen took place when God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That is the greatest power, demonstration of power the world has ever seen. God raised Jesus from the dead. And not only raised him from the dead, but he ascended. And not only that he ascended, but he is enthroned at the right hand of the Father. And not only is he enthroned as Lord over the whole universe, but he is coming again. And Paul says, that power lives in us. Now you're having a laugh. No, that's what the Bible says. That power lives in us. Maybe it's got stuck up here. The power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. And I know, I've wrestled with this all week. You're getting the match of the day highlights of all my wrestling all week with this passage. I don't feel very powerful, Jesus. You know my faults. You know my failings. There are some times when I feel very weak. And Jesus just says, no, my power is in you. Power to live this new life for Christ. Power to name Christ Jesus as Lord when there are so many others who say... How can you say Jesus is Lord and there is no other? By the power of God in me. The power to forgive. The world doesn't know a power like that. It comes from Christ Jesus. The power to forgive. The power to see God at work in us and through us. That power to witness and to love. Which is demonstrated in so many ways. You know I'm passionate about the persecuted church. I just read this one story from the Philippines this week. Noski, a former imam, Islamic cleric. Both his daughters converted to Christianity. He knew, he was well aware of the shame this would bring on him, his family, his community. In his anger, he mercilessly beat them. 
to try and beat Christ out of them. Physically. And they refused to renounce their faith in Jesus. That's the power of Christ in them. Not only did they refuse to renounce Jesus, the power of Christ in them, they prayed for their father. They prayed that he would be forgiven. That Christ would give them the strength to forgive their father for beating them so badly. Within a few months, their father became ill. He experienced, in, experienced piercing pace, pain within his stomach. It intensified until his stomach blew up like a balloon. He writhed in an unbearable pain and he prayed and prayed to Allah. Nothing happened. And then in his desperation, he cried out to who? Jesus. And he was instantly healed. And now, he works as a traveling evangelist, supported by his two daughters, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. The power of Christ in us. Now, we might not have that testimony, but you have the power of God in you. You can forgive someone today. You can live for Christ tomorrow in your workplace, at your home, wherever you are. You can make a difference for Jesus and be different for Jesus. That is the power of God in you. And where does it come from? It comes from Christ, from the Holy Spirit, from the Father. That power that raised Jesus from the dead is living in us. And sometimes he'll enable us to do extraordinary things that we think we could never do. In our own strength. And you go, he's dead right. The power of God. We are praying for breakthroughs in lots of areas. In terms of our life together as a church. But in the midst of all those things that we are crying out to. We, we name Jesus as Lord of all. Who is above all. All authorities, all principalities, all powers, Jesus. And God has placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over every. And Paul reminds us in the end of the passage that we read that God's purpose through world history is to gather a new and holy community of people led by him, Jesus, in his new creation. It's our inheritance. And King Jesus and his church, his body here on earth, his great mission agency, sent out to declare who he is. Believe it or not, the church is at the center of his plans and purposes. I know, I know sometimes we think of the church and we think, oh gosh, God haven't got a plan B. Plan A seems a little bit wacky. His church, his church, is not peripheral to the world. You could see it this way, that the world is peripheral to the church. 
because the church is the only body with the good news. It's time to dive again for treasure. Take a deep breath, dive again for treasure. Have you lost some of the treasure that you once had? That you once knew in your heart? Maybe it's time to just open up in worship again and not worry about whether tears will come or whatever, just to start singing out his praise. Because he's worth it. In 2012, a Florida-based salvage team finally reached the SS Gar Sopa and retrieved the treasure, 150 million pounds worth of silver bullion. Because they'd learned by then how to find it and retrieve it and bring it to the surface. And Paul wants us to dive again. As we worship and give thanks and pray and ask for more, more of his spirit. That God will open the eyes of our hearts to see more of who he is. And more of who we are in him. Amen. Shall we stand together? We're going to ask the musicians to come back. We're going to worship in response.